Welcome back to Bruh's Murder, and it's me, your co-host, Andrea Matthews, and I am rolling solo dolo this week because Ant is out popping that freshly waxed vagina all over Europe. You know what? I am mad at her. If I sound a little sick, I'm sorry because I just got a flu shot and my immune system is on weak. So to celebrate this most spooky of occasions, I'm going to do something a little special and give you five cases of unsolved murders of people of color, of course, that happened on Halloween. And then the story of a real-life boogeyman who hunted children of color. Strap in. Number 5. Malik Sohan was 16 when he was convicted of a carjacking as an adult and sent off to serve a 9-year term at the California Youth Authority. At 22, he was reformed and ready to reintegrate into society. He was released around Halloween, and as soon as he got out, he was shortly shot and killed by an unknown assailant outside of his home. No witnesses have ever came forward, and no one was ever arrested or charged. Number 4. Samir Gnarlo, a 22-year-old young Hispanic man, was found dead in the bathroom of an American Legion Hall on Halloween. He was at a combined birthday-slash-Halloween party as a DJ. Detectives have interviewed over 50 people who were at the event, but many people had left before they got there, and also many just didn't want to talk to him. And they still urge anyone who's at the event to come forward and talk. Most suspects say that they saw two men in black jackets, pants, hoodies, gloves, and helmets fleeing from the bathroom where Gnarlo's body was found. Number 3. Aubrey Daniel Fuller Fuller was gunned down on Halloween night moments after taking his children inside his apartment after trick-or-treating. Police in Las Vegas are still looking for the suspects, and no one has come forward yet and they have not released any descriptions. Earls who lived in the complex, said that she heard five to six shots that night and saw two suspects running away and jumping into a white Dodge vehicle. One suspect was shouting, I got him, cuz, I got him, she said. She heard her grandchildren crying over at to Fuller's apartment. She ran there and saw her son-in-law on the ground, surrounded by his children. They were screaming, Daddy, get up, Daddy, get up. Earl's husband, 55-year-old Louis Torrance, plucked his grandchildren off their father's body. Earl's looked into the dying man's eye, and he looked back at her and said, Oh mama, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. They say that he was a beloved by his family and thought as a super dad by his children. Number two, on Wednesday, October 31st in 2001, police responded to a small business located at 1705 Universal Boulevard in North Jacksonville, Florida. The owner of the business, Cleo, was found shot dead inside. The owner of the business, Cleo, was found shot to death inside of his Spiritual Heights store. Friends of Kilo had gone to check on him and discovered his body inside the lock business. Although the exact circumstances of the homicide remain unknown, information obtained during the investigation indicated drugs may have been involved. Cleo was 25 years old when his life was cut short, but he had already accomplished some of his dreams. Cleo was a proud owner of his own business, Spiritual Heights, where he sold music and clothing. His other great joy was being a father to two young boys. 
Cleo's oldest son has few memories of his dad, but his youngest son was completely robbed of any memories of his father. Number one, I'm going to butcher this name and I'm sorry, Fontan Lorith. On Halloween night in 1995, Fontan's 10-year-old son answered the door to pass out candy to an unknown man who posed as a trick-or-treater. Armed with a gun and wearing a full mask bandana, the gunman forced his way into the home and ordered Fontan's son upstairs to his room. Fontan was then pinned to his couch before being shot once in the head and multiple times in the chest. The suspect was described as a male Asian, but no arrest has ever been made and no motive could even be thought of. Now for a short break and then we'll get to Charlie Chopoff. Long days, long and nice. You feel? Now, I don't even know, lady. Take it, go. Say it again, man, and that's a reverse. Uh, uh, Never rehearse. Jump in it first. Call up the nurse with the beat in the hearse. Uh, this is absurd. Take a berserk. Don't get on the tracks, man, and they better swerve. Don't got a nerve, man. I never curse. Just casting these spells when I'm spelling these words. That's real. That's real. That's too that's real. Too real. I've been Roosevelt, I need a new deal. Trying to figure out what I should do still. I'm really never waiting here too still. I don't even know what I should say at all. Should I jump on in? Should I get involved? Guys around me, they love the talk. I take it all with a grain of salt. This work that I'm doing, they never see through it. And all of this rap that I see that they ruin. I came in the game and I'm trying to undo it. And still they all say they don't know if the shoot fit. I gotta see through it, man. Won't be deluded with all these illusions. I know it's disputed. I gotta keep going. They see what my root is. I tell you, I run this. I'm done with excuses. Get me for a minute trying to get what I've been giving. I don't do it for the tickets. I don't listen to the critics. I'ma push them to the limit. And these rappers getting timid. I've been balling like a pivot. I don't step into the scrimmage. I just play them when I'm in it. Trying to run it till the ribbon. And they know that I've been tripping when I make them see the vision. Man, I put them in the prison with these balls that I've been spinning. And this life that I've been living. I'ma go. I'm on a mission. Take two for the trap joke. Plotting on the bar. See me putting in the work. Whole milk. I don't do the soy.
think they gon' need a minute shot and got them people back up in their feelings. When they told me I was finished, by the mother in it, not the doctor felt that. Yeah, no victim called defendant, even Nike witness. We the next to kill it, show them the king how they living. Pictures so good, but not looking for penis. They were stepping in from the back door. If they see you independent, then they pop jokes. That fear to the blows, boy, James Burke. Side stepping on the shades, see the footwork. I'm trying to be about this fitness. But still, they want me in the kitchen with the bacon, so the whipping. The thought of Louis so offensive. Cause my guy, he gave his body just to pull me out the trenches. Hold up, hold up, wait. If I never see a million or the recognition, but I see the finish. Look, the greatest win. They losing, gotta keep on shooting even when you're missing. Yeah. Now focus on the past while living for the day was never recommended. Rapping VA Tony Bennett, his kingdom can never be bought cause it's living in a litter. Between 1972 and 1974, the bodies of five young black and Puerto Rican boys were discovered in Manhattan, New York. Another boy was assaulted and left for dead. The victims were stabbed or slashed and the genitals were mutilated and in some cases, completely removed. It seems as though a real-life boogeyman was terrifying young men of color. The victims, Douglas Owens, eight. He was the first victim discovered in March of 1972 after he went missing while running errands on a rainy day. He was stabbed 38 times and his genitals were cut almost completely off, but not removed. His shoes were off when he was found. There was evidence of a potential sexual assault. He was discovered just two blocks from his home. His body left on a rooftop. After his murder, an anonymous call was made to the police naming a local man, Iran Soto, as his killer. Although police interviewed Soto's local relatives, they said they had not seen him in several months. Unfortunately, nothing came of this tip. An unnamed victim was assaulted in April and left for dead in the hallway of an apartment building. He was identified as 10-year-old black boy, but not named in the press. Like Douglas Owens, he was attacked on a rainy day while running errands. Like Owens, his shoes were removed. He was sexually assaulted, stabbed, gutted, and genitals removed completely. The perpetrator took the genitals with him when fleeing at the scene. He survived but was unable to provide police with the information needed to bring his assailant to justice due to the trauma he experienced. The police were able to develop a very vague profile of the suspect, Spanish or Italian, with a mole on his cheek, thin skin, neither light skin nor dark skin, possibly with a limp. He called himself Michael and lured the boy to him with promise of 50 cents. This victim's genitals were later recovered in a park by police who found a group of children playing with it. Wendell Habar, age 9. He vanished while playing in a yard near his home in East Harlem on, in October 1972. His mother called to him to come inside, and when he didn't make it into the apartment, she promptly reported him missing. He was discovered on a rooftop of his own apartment building a few hours later, which was just six blocks away from where Douglas Owens' body was found. He had been stabbed 17 times in the abdomen, neck, and chest. His body was mutilated and his genitals were also removed, apparently carried away by the attacker. There was evidence that he had also been sexually assaulted. Luis Ortiz, age 9, who was missing in March 1973 after purchasing milk and bread from a local store. Discovered in the basement of an apartment building, he was the first victim who was not black. He was a darker-skinned Puerto Rican boy. He was stabbed 38 times in the back, neck, and chest and his genitals were removed and taken by the perpetrator. Multiple witnesses reported seeing the boy's abductor resulting in the development of a composite sketch. 
Over 300 tips were called into the police. Luis Ortiz's family returned to Puerto Rico shortly after his murder. Lastly, Stephen Copper, age 8. He was discovered on the 6th floor of a tenant home in August 1973. His murder was different from the others, however. He was slashed with a razor blade rather than stabbed with a knife. The cause of his death was a severed artery in his arm. There was no mutilation of his genitals in this case. However, his body was posed in a sexually suggestive manner that was indicative of an assault. His shoes were removed and placed on his body. Nevertheless, the police concluded that he must be the victim of the same serial killer, reasoning that it would be too coincidental for two killers of similar victim profiles and MOs to be operating in the same exact area at once. After the murder of Louis Ortiz, the local community was in an uproar. Police meetings were held, the sketch was distributed all over, and a local class even made a video warning other children to stay away from strangers. A task force was developed to track down the suspect, was distributed flyers, knocked on doors, and poured through police records. They interviewed over 150 suspects. They even consulted with Interpol on the possibility of an international child molester. Local children began referring to the murderer as Charlie Chopoff, and the name stuck. After Stephen Cooper's murder, the search intensified even further. A suspect was apprehended and named in the press as El Gonzalez. He was reported to have been seen loitering in the area when some of the abductions happened. Witnesses were called to the police station but did not confirm his identification. He was about to be let free, but a mob of protesters formed around the station. Having been made aware of his identity, the public was convinced that this man was indeed the perpetrator. Police established barricades around the precinct, but protesters climbed over the barriers, scaled the roof, and police cars. The police decided they had to sneak Gonzalez out of the station disguised as a policeman. They dressed him up as a cop in civilian clothing and had him walk outside escorted by officers while covering his face. The crowd apparently wasn't fooled by the ruse and continued to demand to see the killer. Traffic was blocked off by the mob and news cameras began to gather. Despite all the attention, Gonzalez managed to make it out of the area unnoticed in a poorly fitting police uniform escorted in a squad car. The mob eventually subsided, but the community remained on high alert. A man who resembled the suspect was chased out of a neighborhood and into a river. A few weeks later, after Stephen Cooper's murder, a man named Daniel Alava was charged with molesting a five-year-old boy after luring him into a secluded area in a nearby park. The boy escaped and ran to his father, and Olivia was discovered hiding in the same bushes and arrested. He fit the suspect's profile. He had medium skin tone and walked with a limp. However, the police found that his motives did not match up with the murderers, and he was dismissed as a suspect. In May 1974, Arno Soto, a patient at the Manhattan State Hospital, was apprehended during the, during the attempted abduction of a young Puerto Rican boy. The boy escaped and was seen running down the street yelling. Soto was detained by neighbors until the police arrived. Soto was a frequent flyer at a Manhattan's mental institute where he had been intermittently institutionalized starting in 1969. Reportedly, Soto and his wife, who were both Puerto Rican, had become estranged but reunited. Sometime, sometime after the reunion, Soto's wife gave birth to a black baby boy. Soto and his wife appeared to reconcile despite that. But as a boy approached his eighth birthday, Soto's mental state began to deteriorate. He was hospitalized multiple times for uncontrollable violence and had been arrested on several occasions for burglary and narcotic possessions. He had also been treated for heroin addiction. 
Soto's physical description matched a description given by witnesses. In addition, the main exit from the hospital was near where some of the boys' bodies were found, and he had relatives living in the area near some of the others. After his arrest, a witness was found by the police who claimed that he had seen Soto with Stephen Cooper on the day of his death. The surviving boy from the attempted 1972 murder was shown a lineup including Soto, but was not able to identify him. He did say that Soto looked similar to his attacker, but nothing, nothing conclusive. Soto confessed to police that he stalked young black boys in the area and confessed to killing Stephen Cooper, but not any of the other boys. He reportedly did tell police that God told him, quote, to make little boys into girls. He was reportedly institutionalized on the dates of one of the murders, but this is easily explained by the fact that security of the institution was lax and Soto had a weakened past. The police were certain they had their man. Soto was charged with the murder of Stephen Cooper. However, at the trial, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found not guilty by reason of insanity. He was put in a high security mental institute. After being institutionalized again, the murders had stopped. In the end, nobody was found guilty of any of the Charlie Chopoff murders, but police considered the case to be closed. So, is Soto Charlie Chopoff, or is the real boogeyman still out there? Happy Halloween, everyone. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and just, you know, stick out, hang around. You guys are awesome. I'm throwing up peace sounds again. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Mm, miss you, man. And I love you guys. Bye.